the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two, let's say good morning to Richard Krause, host of the podcast, Last Call with Richard Krause. Robert Benzi is here, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at the Toronto Star. And Sunira Chaudhry, employment lawyer at Workley Law. And I realize it wasn't on the agenda because we didn't know it was going to be happening until it happened just a few minutes ago. But maybe, Robert Benzi, I'll ask for your hot take on, amongst other things, because nobody wants to hear about uh, policy today, but the Premier, when he stepped up to the microphone with his finance minister, announced that the pause on uh, gas taxes will continue until June of next year. That's a nice way to try to change the channel. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly it is, John. I mean, this is a a tax break that the government introduced uh, last. It was initially supposed to end last Canada Day, and then they extended it to the end of this year. So it's, I mean, it seems that this is something they're going to keep extending for in six-month increments. It's a popular policy. Gasoline prices are high and i think uh the government doesn't have tons of tools at its disposal to change the channel from the greenbelt scandal so this is uh, this is one of them and and this is ahead of thursday's fall economic statement that uh finance minister peter bethlenfalvy will be delivering in, uh, in the legislatures which is sort of like a mini budget and Sonera, you can't accuse the government of bribing you with your own money because that's not really the case here. But I've always wondered if there were ever any means for us to establish whether or not the oil retailers or gas retailers just gradually crept up their prices to where, you know, to absorb the discounted tax. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really good point. But um, I, I, I do, I think this is the third extension um, that the Ford government has extended the cut. So, I, I mean, I think it's it's certainly interesting that we're seeing it, but absolutely, uh, it, it it's going to be a great you know, benefit, of course, to Ontarians. I think it's going to be the equivalent of, I mean, five cents or a bit over five cents uh, a litre. So it's not um, insignificant for sure. So I'm sure happy. I'm, I'm sure that many people are happy to see that this extension rolled out today. Although Richard Krause, as I always say, cutting taxes is easy. Balancing the budget is something else altogether. Yeah, but I think the Ford government needs a win right now. And any time you can save people money immediately, they can see it in their wallets. They can see it every time they go to the gas station, I think is a win. Okay, let's get back to another affair at Queen's Park, and that would be the MZOs that went to wedding guests. Maybe you can kind of summarize just how dramatic a revelation everything was yesterday, Robert Benzie, or was it just, you know, added dressing on an on existing cake? Yeah, I mean, the MZO issue was, was known. I mean, the, what happened was the NDP... Uh, tabulated that they that the 18 mzos went to wedding guests uh at mr ford's daughter's wedding last summer or last september actually i guess it was technically in the fall um and uh and that uh equals the amount of uh, ministers zoning zoning orders these are the uh, orders that override local planning that the liberal government uh, issued between 2003 and 2018. Now, Mr. Ford was just asked about that issue uh, in Etobicoke, where he's still speaking to reporters right now. And he said, uh, I don't apologize for doing MZOs because we do them so that we can expedite the building of housing. He said hundreds of thousands of houses have been built because of these orders. So he was not repentant about that. But a, a bigger problem for the premier is these 7,000 pages of documents that were released yesterday that environmental defense and eco-justice obtained through freedom of information laws. There's a lot in there that undermines uh, the government's predominant narrative that this was a rogue operation run by Steve Clark and his chief of staff, Ryan Amato, the former minister of housing and his uh, former chief. 
it's clear this was not just something run by uh, a rogue staffer and, and, and one minister. This is something that the premier's office must have been aware of. Okay, and Richard Krauss, we get into the old maxim, uh, you know, Caesar's wife, you don't have to just be pure, you have to appear to be pure. And <laughs> this just keeps on getting worse for this government. Yeah, it does. And I think the longer uh, it dominates headlines, the longer we talk about it, the longer the story uh, extends itself and the more 7,000 page documents that arrive uh, and get written about, um, it just sort of chips away at the respectability of the government. It just that word corruption starts to uh, sink into people's consciousness. And once a word is out there like that. It's like a hook. It just embeds itself in people's minds. And I think that's something that is going to dog Doug Ford and uh, his uh, his people uh, between now and the next election. And it's going to be the hurdle to get over. I think people are losing confidence because, as you often say, well, if there's corruption here, what about in this file and what about in this file and what about this file so even if there's nothing else even if they're as clean as a whistle everywhere else uh people will have doubt and that's never good and sonera i guess you know einstein said what is it insanity is doing the same thing over again and again and expecting different outcomes but i remember when this government was elected it was because people were sick of scandal and sick of the liberals and now it turns out all governments are kind of the same yeah, I think, I mean, it's a really good point, John, because I, I do think, of course, the Ford government is really reeling from the reputational capital they're losing on this scandal. And I think uh, our, the new housing minister came out on this issue and said uh, he is not concerned about mo you know most of the zoning orders, according to the, the article we saw on this. So, if, of course, if our own housing minister is going back and doing a review, uh, even though you have the premier going out saying, well, you know, I have nothing really to apologize about, but you have the housing minister saying, I'm going back and, and taking a look, and most of them seem okay. Uh, that's not good enough, of course. And it seems like this process is opaque. There isn't transparency about how these zoning orders are handed out. I think a lot of us are wondering about how they are and whether or not there are certainly, you know, some developers getting a benefit that are that that others aren't. And if uh, there was affordable housing, if housing wasn't an issue, this wouldn't be as big of a scandal as it is. Of course, housing is an issue. So we do know that this this problem hasn't been fixed. And perhaps because of the corruption or perhaps because of the mishandling, we're in the state that we're in. There is concern that the conflict in the Middle East is going to spread and eventually it'll spread to Lebanon. So the federal government is actually telling Canadians, you might want to think about getting out of the country. And by the way, you got to do this on your own ticket. Richard, it sounds um, you know, very, very harsh. But if you're going to live in a dangerous part of the world, then you can't expect your government to pay for you to be extracted from it. I think that's probably true. I think that uh, right now, if I was living in Lebanon, I would have, be having serious conversations with my family and the, the, my workplace and whatever else and involving safety and involve, in looking ahead. Um, and I wouldn't really expect my country to fly me back here. Um, I, I don't know how many people would reasonably think that that should be the case. I think if 
something sudden happened, if there was a, a, all of a sudden a crisis that was unforeseen, maybe then. But until then, uh, I think you're kind of on your own if you're over there. Sonera in 2006, it was an emergency extraction. I think it was 26,000 people that we brought to Canada. A lot of them waited out the trouble and then just went back to Lebanon. So imagine here we are in 2023 and we've got to go get the same people. Yeah. And, you know, we have our foreign affairs minister uh, saying over and over, it's time to come home. This is the time to leave. And if Canadians aren't heeding that warning, and, and this is not, you know, as of today, this started, uh, I think, over a week ago. So if Canadians are being told, if you're in Lebanon to get out it, it, and, you, and you can get on a commercial flight right now, this week, you should. And Robert Benzie, it's in a very elaborate plan that is being laid for a marine evacuation if it becomes necessary. But yeah, as the minister, as the department says, get out while it goes good. Well, exactly. And at a certain point, there is responsibility. And remember, a lot of these folks are, are dual citizens, so they've made a they've made a concerted effort to to make a choice to to live there. And I, and I don't blame them. The weather's better, but I'm not yeah. sure it's safer. <laughs> it's a, not a safe place to be. And I remember when Prime Minister Harper was uh, was in government that it was very very expensive when they did that airlift uh, back in 2006. So. Um, yeah, the government is there to help you in a jam. It's not there to be your travel agent, you know. A new poll finds Canadians are cooling on immigration. I think the biggest part is not immigration itself. It's the numbers. And Sunira, you know, under Stephen Harper, they went up by a few hundred thousand. And now the Liberal target is 500,000. I think a lot of people are saying, OK, but, you know, cool it for a second. How do we integrate these people? Yeah, uh, but John, I, I think we have some competing priorities here in Canada that we need to reconcile really quickly. First of all, the Canadian birth rate's 1.4 as of 2020. It was 5%. That was a 5% decrease from the year before. So Canadians are not reproducing, uh, of course. We have to rely on immigration in order for our population to grow, and we did hit 40 million. But we also have a priority as a country to uh, fix the labor shortages, especially in industries like healthcare, construction, transportation. So if we're looking to fix those labor shortages, and those are chronic labor shortages, we're only doing that through immigration. The government's got to, you know, the, the left hand's got to talk to the right hand and figure out this problem because we're only going to figure it out through immigration. And if we don't have our, our affordable housing mandate fixed rapidly, I mean, I, I can't blame Canadians for cooling on on new folks coming into this country because we don't have the infrastructure to support them. Well, and that's the thing. To close the loop, I guess, Robert Benzi, I mean, people keep banging the drum about the fact that we have a, house, a housing shortage and 500,000 people are coming to the province of Ontario this year. And so some people would say, okay, well, let's slow that down and then maybe we can catch up. But but to, to Sanira's point, John, the problem is we have 380,000 unfilled jobs in Ontario. So there are many, many employers who cannot find uh, enough workers to do the jobs that are needed in, in many different trades. And whether it's uh, it's nurses or, or healthcare workers or PSWs in, in long term care homes or construction workers, you name it. And I think that's the challenge. So it's I mean, Canada is a vast a vast country. We definitely need more people. We just don't need everyone to suddenly 
live in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. I think that's part of the problem. People need to to move to other parts of the province that are also have job shortages uh, and the housing challenges perhaps aren't as great in those areas. I want to turn to one other thing and since you're our arbiter of all things pop and culture, uh, Richard Krauss, Corey Mintz writing in the Globe and Mail today that we should move Halloween to the 3rd of October instead of freezing our butts off on the 31st. Does that make any nope. sense? Nope. 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 Just get a fleece lined costume if you're that concerned about the cold. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, and then what do we do uh, with uh, Halloween that's celebrated in the United States? It's the second only to Christmas in terms of uh, the way they really blow it out down there. Uh, so we're doing ours. It, it sets us up to have a situation like we have Thanksgiving. We have an early Thanksgiving, which is mild, and we don't really do that much for it compared to the U.S., who really go all out for it. Is that going to be the same with Halloween? We don't want that. Keep it on the 31st, right outside my window right now. They're setting up for the party that's going to be happening on my street uh, later on tonight. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. And it's going to be a little chilly. Who cares? It's going to be fun. And that's what matters. This is why dad, when he goes door to door with the kids, carries a flask. <laughs> Thank you all. Happy Halloween to you. Uh, Sanira Chaudhry, Robert Benzi, and Richard Kraus on Free For All Round 2. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.